Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Welcome to the Chapel Collective. Uh, we're so glad that you've joined us online today. My name is Bron and I'm part of the t- preaching and teaching team here at the Chapel Collective. We are currently in the third and final installment of the Afterlife series. I am like literally so excited to bring this me- message to you today. I hope that, that what it births in you is what it actually has in me, this sense of excitement and like we've talked all the way along, a confident expectation and hope about the future. We are in crazy town times and, and everything around us seems a little bit nuts. And I believe that if we can get a hold of the truth in this message, that in fact, everything just settles and we look forward to the future and what's around us with hope rather than with despair or uncertainty. So uh, we talked in week one about what if, the afterlife, what if, what if here is not all there is. And I'm not talking about a multiverse. I'm talking about that when we die, that is not the end. That at the end is not the end, but it's actually way better. We looked at that in week one. In week two, We looked at what now? If there is an afterlife, what does that change about the way that we live now? And we looked at the purpose, that our purpose, no matter what is going on around us in the world, that it actually doesn't change. And that purpose is to love God and to love others. And others is all inclusive. It's the people that you like naturally and the people that you don't like naturally, that our purpose is to lift other people up around us. Uh, We looked at the perspective that actually you've got the goods to get done everything that God would have you get done. That not only that, that what we think of the master matters. And uh, we looked at that perspective, how that changes the fact that it's not an entitlement, everything that we own, but it's an entrustment and we've been given it for purpose and to use it on behalf of others. And there should be a reward from it. And then finally, we looked at promise, the fact that Jesus is coming back and we're going to head more into that today. Now, I need to tell you right now that I don't claim to be an eschatological expert in any way, shape or form. I do not know how to spell premillennial dispensation, let alone describe to you what it's talking about. I don't even know how to spell Armageddon, but it's not the end of the world. I got that off the internet. I thought that was good. Uh, I want to tell you that we're talking about, well, what then? What then? What next? If it's what if the afterlife, um, what now with the afterlife, but what then? What next? What happens next? And so I want to ask you the question, what is your picture of heaven? And as we've been challenging ourselves all through this series, who told you that? Kind of the byline of this series is where is your hope? Are you able to articulate clearly what your hope is based in or have you grabbed from the smorgasbord of afterlife belief, thrown it all together and come up with your own version? What is your picture of heaven and who told you that? Where did you get that from? Uh, We debunked in week one that we're these like beings that kind of float around. We actually get given new bodies. Uh, We debunked also in week one that we're, you know, big fat babies that sit on clouds and play harps. No, there's actually purpose even in our afterlife. And, uh, And so that's really exciting. But what's your picture? Maybe you've heard the beautiful hymn, Amazing Grace, and you got to the last verse. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we've first begun. And you're like, (laughs) excuse me. We're just going to sing the whole time. We have no less days to sing God's praise after we've been there for 10,000 years. You know, when we sing the chorus, 
for the fourth time in church, I'm thinking we sang that already. I get it. You're never going to let, you're never going to let me down. You're never going to let, you're never going to let me. I, I got it the first time we sang it. You, you might be thinking, I get it. Even when I don't see it, he's working. I don't need to sing it 50 times for it to be real for my life. And we're going to find out that actually, no, it's much greater than that even. Yes, there will be worship. The worship is going to be epic. Um, you might have, after Daz preached for six weeks and mentioned Maverick City every time he preached, you might have gone and looked them up on YouTube and noticed that even in the 15 minutes of a Maverick City song, YouTube put an ad in the middle because 15 minutes straight is too long to listen to somebody singing. We're going to look at that. You know, Daz says uh, about heaven, he says, in heaven, I'm going to have... I'm like, oh, is that how it works? We just state in heaven what we're going to have and that materialises somehow, okay. And uh, he says, oh, in heaven I'm going to have a big homestead that overlooks a vineyard and, uh, and, and then there's going to be angels that work the vineyard for me. And I'm like, oh, okay, so you're just going to state your vision and then other people are going to carry that out for you. Oh, it's not that different to hear death. I'm just kidding. He is the best lifter-upper of me of any human person I know. Um, but there's, there's so much thought. And what I want to ask you is, what's your thought of what you've thought that heaven would be like? Is it here? Is it there? Is it somewhere off in the distance? Or it is, is it Eden restored? What does it look like in your mind? And, and again, with that challenge, who told you that? There's so much literature. C.S. Lewis has written many analogies about what the kingdom of heaven um, or heaven itself is like. Uh, Rick Joyner wrote a, an amazing book called The Vision. Uh, so many people have written poems. There's been laments written. There's been spirituals written, songs composed all about what heaven will be like. Yeah, I, I have been someone that has been hesitant to read the book of Revelations. I've been reading the Bible for 26 years now. And uh, even though I've read it through three times and, and jumped around a lot in that, I've only read the book of Revelations when I've decided to read the whole thing through. I've never purposely chosen in the first 25 years to read the book of Revelations. I was kind of like, yeah, I'm cool. I don't get it. I don't need to get it. I'm fine. It'll happen whether I understand it or not. And, and I just really didn't get it. And so I didn't want to go there. Um, more recently this year, I read it uh, at the start of this year. And I read it at a time when um, I lost a beautiful friend quite suddenly. I read it at a time when there were some teenagers in our church that kind of were beginning to discover that their parents' faith didn't automatically transfer to them and they seemed to be leaning out of uh, their relationship with Jesus Christ and seemed to be leaning out of their involvement with church and it was breaking my heart. It was also at a time when I'd felt like some attacks come against me personally and, and I, if there's anything I hate, it's being misunderstood. And so there were these three dynamics going on and it was breaking my heart. And then I began to read Revelations and I found that my hope sprang forth. I didn't get it. If you have a look at my Bible, you will see all these scribblings in here, all these question marks, all questions like, is that a metaphor? Uh, here's one. What even? But amazing. Uh, there's all these comments through this book that clearly state that I don't understand all the book of Revelation, but I decided to read it, not as a timeline, not as an indication of what would happen, not to try and figure out what was for then and what is for now, but just to read it. And I found my heart bursting forth with hope and expectation. And I'll tell you why uh, as we work through this message. I hope that, that that's what you will come out with as well. So we're going to go firstly to Romans chapter 8, but on the way there, let's pray. 
I just want to reiterate again that I'm no eschatological expert. I don't, I'm not an expert on the end times. Uh, I'm not going to be able to tell you then this will happen, then this will happen. And I feel like that anyone who with very sure certainty does, I, 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 I hesitate because I know that all the prophecies in the Old Testament that talked about Jesus, that none of the people who had been reading those prophecies then recognised Jesus when he came. And I feel like there's going to be an element of that, that we've all got a picture in our heads based on what we read, but it could be unrecognisable once we get there. And it'll only be in hindsight that we'll go, oh, that's what you meant by that. So let's pray that we get something out of this today. Lord God, today, will you lift our eyes? Lord, will you pull back the curtain? Will you draw the veil, Lord? Will you help us to see what we can't naturally see? Will you give us a glimpse today, Lord God? And will you allow it to work something in our hearts that we didn't know was possible? We ask it in faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So firstly, in Romans 8, let's look at the concept of renewal. Renewal. Romans 8 verse 10. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. So God is the creator. He loves what he creates and he created us and he is not opposed to our bodies. You might be very much opposed to your body. He's not opposed to our bodies, but he is going to give us a new one. We will have bodies um, once we're gone. We have a spirit and that spirit has been made alive to God once we decide to follow Jesus. We have a soul and our soul is made up of our mind, will and emotions. And all that stuff lives on. But I tell you what, our body's going to die. And when our body dies, sin will also die. What do you struggle with in your body? What is physically ailing you? Well, when you die, that is all gone. And you are then alive to so much more. Um, it's so amazing. I think about the things that I've struggled with across the years. And, and you know, that work is already happening. We're already being made alive to Christ and, and we're dying to sin. But, but Paul talks about how the things that he doesn't want to do, he still does do. And the things that he doesn't want to, he does do, doesn't want to do, all those sorts of things. But when we throw off these bodies, what is struggle with that anymore? That is no longer our struggle. Verse 18, it says, we're just skipping down. We've got a lot to get through today. Verse 18, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with either, eager hope, eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Let me say that again, glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believe is also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he's, he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something that we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. 
freedom from death and decay and not just us, all creation. Once we die, once we have the afterlife, those of us who trust in Jesus, we not only have nothing but life, no more decay, but also creation is this burgeoning existence of life and life to the full. It's so exciting. Now, now, now that doesn't mean that we just do whatever we want, throw our rubbish out the window like we used to in the 80s. No, no, we look after this planet. We were always made co-vice regents, male and female, given as, as regents of what God owned. And we need to look after it. We need to protect it. But we need to know that God is bringing it um, to beauty and to renewal. That's his purpose for creation and his creation, including us. There's going to be a great renewal go on. Now, let's think also for a moment about redemption. We are redeemed. You know, we're redeemed by Jesus' sacrifice. We are redeemed, but we wait for our bodies and for creation to be redeemed. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says in verse 51, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, because we're going to exist in the presence of God, so we need new bodies that can stand that and that can live forever, um, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Boom, take that death. We have the victory over you. We have redemption. There is complete and total redemption. We are free, free, free. Free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Okay, let's finish off this series in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, John's Revelation, he's uh, exiled, um, written maybe to stick it to the Roman occupation, maybe for a future day, maybe both. But uh, let's, rather than trying to work out a timeline today, let's try to get to the essence of some of the things that it's talking about. Let's look at chapter one to get the setting. Verse nine, I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the spirit. Suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. So it's written at a time in history two specific churches. Verse 12. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven golden lampstands and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the son of man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His hair, uh, his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like the mighty oceans. He held seven stars in his right hand and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. What? I don't know. It's just this triumphant, victorious being that's there. And it is magnificent and majestic. And I think it would be funny when John fell over as though he was dead and Jesus would be like, 
Have we, have we got another messenger there? <laughs> but there's this image that John is having of this triumphant, resplendent, glorious Jesus. Okay, let's go to chapter 7, verse 9. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the land. Now this right here is a picture of reconciliation. And if you felt the weariness of the human race in regards to reconciliation, then let's get a hold of this today because in heaven there'll be reconciliation whether we are reunited here on a new earth or a redeemed earth or a renewed earth or whatever that looks like. That's not what I'm about to get on today. I'm just telling you what is there and part of that renewal, redemption is reconciliation. It won't matter if you're black, white, what tribe, tongue you're from, what language you speak, whether you're educated, ed- uneducated, what, what gender you are. It won't matter uh, anything of that. It won't matter if you're rich or poor. It won't matter if you're vaccinated or unvaccinated. We are going to be together and we are going to be reconciled. What does that mean? That means that we are going to love each other and dwell together. So if you've got some issues with a people group or you've got some latent um, resentment against uh, a race today, I suggest you sort that out because you're going to be there with them. There's going to be reconciliation. You might know the story of the angel who was showing um, some people around heaven and uh, they went past this really big wall and the angel went, and they went around the wall, they got to the end of the wall and the people that the angel was showing around heaven said, what's all that about? And the angel was like, oh, it's the Sydney Anglicans, they don't know anyone else is here. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. The joke's about everyone. Everyone says it about everyone else. Oh, it's the whoever's. It's the Calvinists. They don't know anyone else is here. Oh, it's the Pentecostals. They don't know anyone else is here. Oh, it's the CLAs. They, everyone says it about everyone. I just picked one randomly today. <laughs> and there's reconciliation and we're all going to be there. We're all going to be there. Revelations chapter 19, verse 6. Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Then I saw heaven open and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, so he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. He's bringing justice. And I'd love us to think about justice. We, we tend to think about that as punishment, but it's setting things right. He's there to set things right. And just this picture of him on his horse, faithful and true. Revelation 21 verse 3, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water and life. And all who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God and they will be my children. That's from Revelation 21 and 22. This is the picture. It's not just of renewal, it's not just of redemption, it's just not just of reconciliation, but this is also restoration. Every complicated 
relationship that you have brought to right. Every suffering that you've ever encountered brought to right. Every tear you've ever cried wiped away. No more tears. No more suffering. No more sorrow. Life. Life in all of its abundance. Everything gone with the decaying of the world and life in its place. A creation restored. I'm going to finish with someone um, today. You know, we talked about Jesus and he had eyes like fire, hair like wool, um, you know, feet like brass. And, and we're going to hear just in a moment a song about that. But I want to read you this quote from John Eldridge. This is what he writes, because we need to get a hold of this restoration today. John Eldridge says, friends, it's as simple as this. If you do not give your heart over to the renewal of all things, you will take your kingdom heart to something in this world. You will do compulsive things like collecting way too many shoes. You'll be tempted into far darker things. It is inevitable. But if you will begin to choose the kingdom, if you consciously and deliberately give your heart to the renewal of all things, you will notice the effects immediately. So much pressure will be lifted off your current hopes when things don't go well. You'll find yourself less angry, less dejected. As your heart and soul become anchored in the renewal, you'll find yourself freer to risk, especially freer to love. You can love people because God will do everything in his power to make sure you will not lose them. The goodbyes of his children are momentary. You can love beautiful places and cultures and things like wilderness because even though it looks like they may be vanishing, they will be restored for nothing is lost. He renews all things. The restoration that is coming is worth waiting for, worth taking part in even now as we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, worth being a part of. We saw, like I said, Jesus appearing in those different forms, resplendent, magnificent, majestic, victorious, triumphant. But one of the ways that he shows himself in the book of Revelations is is as a slaughtered lamb. And Spurgeon talks about why on earth he would be portraying himself as such. This is what he says. Before the foundation of the world, he appeared for us as our saviour. Before the foundation of the world, he was slain for us. And here in glory, Spurgeon says that he still wishes to regard us to regard him as a sacrifice for sin. Splendour of the throne, sure but never forget the splendor of the cross. Of course, the bridegroom appears in the way that he showed the most love. He declares his love for us, even in glory. It is as the lamb that he has most fully displayed his love to his church. He laid down his life for us that we might live. With the song that's coming now, if you want to accept Jesus in your heart, just pray this simple prayer while you listen to it. Jesus, I don't want to go my way. I want to go your way. Please forgive me of getting it wrong, of my sin, and help me to live for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Spurgeon says, I do not know how to talk about this great theme, but this truth rests in my heart and makes me more glad than I can tell. There is a way to live that is with more gladness than you can tell. But in the midst of suffering, sorrow, uncertainty, 
that there is a hope and an expectation that is confident and sure. And that is what our Lord Jesus has won for us. Let's listen to this song. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.